Oh, I think I got my mask stuck inside of my, uh, so I'm going to have to ask you guys to just hold. Yeah. Blast off. Here we go. All right. Let's drop the mask. Hallelujah. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm praising God right now that I could take this thing off. All right. Amen. Amen. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly but surely. We're getting there. So, hey, so uh, welcome. Uh, we welcome you guys here. I can see that some more people are here today. And uh, pretty excited that uh, we can at least get 10 more of you here this morning. So that's great. And uh, excited that uh, there's an open door there for you to be here. You know, some years ago, I recall, I am a little, a little bit on the older side, that I can recall the years when, when we used to uh, be able to scratch notes down to get to a place. Like if you recall, if you had to go somewhere, or be somewhere, you had to get a piece of paper out and write out the directions. Uh, if someone knew how to get there, they'd take a left, you know, left at the tree and a right at the right, you know, at the fire hydrant. And then if you see two stop signs, make sure, you know, that you see a, a tree in the front of a house. I mean, you would just come up with different ways in which you could give directions. And I don't know that enough that because when I was younger, I didn't really care. I knew my neighborhood enough to where I can get to places without thinking about it. It was second nature. Um, but then as we got a little bit older and into, my, into the 90s, uh, my wife and I got married, we realized that, okay, in order to get to somewhere, you had to pull up your computer, get online, and find MapQuest. You remember MapQuest? And MapQuest.com, and you would get the direction, especially if we would travel out for vacation or when, at the time when we went to Dallas, especially in 2000, we really needed MapQuest. So we'd get the sheets of paper coming out, all located, laid out, put it all put together in a folder, and my wife would have all the directions. Well, back then, you know, I can say 20 years ago, you didn't know, though, what was ahead of you. You didn't know if there was any possible detours or if there was an accident coming up until they just created some, this great invention called the GPS. And now with GPS, you can just put your address in a destination box and you'll be able to go where you need to go and they'll tell you if there is an accident, whether you're going to have a holdup or not, you're driving, whether you could take another route or not. And so growing, you know, growing up and seeing these changes has been, been unbelievable because when we were driving down, my wife and I, and uh, we were going down to Dallas at the time, having an 18-month-old uh, child in the, home, in the car and then driving, you know, driving down there, it was hard to kind of flip the sheets. But as we, as we moved on and we realized that just dropping in now for GPS is incredible. It even got so innovative two years ago that I don't know how many of you know Waze. Anybody know Waze is? Okay. Well, they even got so innovative with it, they started putting different accents to the voice to speak back to you. So it wouldn't just be our American accent, but you can do an English accent. You could even do a boy band or something like that. It would just, they would sing it to you. So strangely, you would be able to, to turn that on. And as we think about that, we think about where we're going and what we're doing, how many of us today need to understand about direction? Where are we going? Where is this, where's our world going? Where are we going? I mean, I think about the Old Testament and how often the prophets had to proclaim a message of the gospel or a message of God to all of them around us. 
and around them at the time, and yet they continued to trust that God knew what was ahead of them. They didn't forecast it, God did. They didn't know, they didn't have a GPS to know where God was going to take a people. But yet whenever God gave them a message, their job was simply to share the message. Their job wasn't to know what was going to be ahead. They just simply had to be the messenger. It wasn't anything personal, just like with Jeremiah or any of the prophets. Something was in front of them and they had to carry a message. And then they were the ones that would receive the outcry after they would hear a message from from God. So if the Israelites heard something and they didn't like it, they would take, they would hurt the prophet. And same thing now when we're thinking about the book of Jonah as we're going to look at it, we got to think about Jonah because Jonah was one who was a prophet, but he didn't like what God was giving him as far as delivering the message. And so when we think about direction, I I entitled this, this sermon today in this series that we're calling God's Pursuit for Sinners, What's Your Destination? Now just think about it for just a minute, okay? What if I were to just say to you, just let's have some fun for a second. Say the destination box is kind of your priority box. What would you put in your destination box if God said to you, go anywhere you want to go or think about or put a priority, put it in this box, this so-called destination box, okay? What if it were something like, you know, you, you, you type it in, you say, my retirement funds. You know, that's, that's important to me right now, my retirement funds. You know, you'd put that in because whether you're younger or older, you're focused on that. So you're focused on your retirement funds. You know, you want to make sure that, hey, right now, don't look at them. (laughs) Don't look anywhere near them right now because you will be discouraged and depressed. You think COVID's going to bring you down. Just look at your retirement funds right now. But you don't want to focus on that. But just think that if you had to put something in the destination box and you said, God, I want to, you know, you'd be focused. Are you focusing on your retirement funds right now? I mean, is that something that's really just concerning you? You know, I'm not just saying that because you might be a little bit older because we should all be investing no matter how old we are. We have to put something away. I mean, that could be one thing. What if, what if it was another thing? What if it were the election? What if it were the election 2020? What if you're really, really superly concerned right now about that? You're overwhelmed because in three months, we're going to find out whether our present president will continue to be our president or whether we will have a new elected president as of 2020. We don't know. Is that something you're placing in your destination box as a priority and you're focused on that more than anything else in your life? You are so concerned about this and you even feel to the point where it's like, you know what? If, if our president doesn't get reelected, this world's in a hopeless state. Well, guess what? We're hopeless no matter what without Christ, right? Amen? Our world is hopeless without Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what we're going through, but, if, but is that in your destination box? Let's just, just say that. Could that be it? Or maybe it's possible that you just have in there, you want personal success. You're just focused so much on being successful. Even if you are in your later years, you might just say, I still want to be successful. I want to do something with my life. I'm still 65 years young. You're not old, but you're 65 years young. You want to do something. I get you because I'm 51 years young, and I want to still believe I'm going to do something while here on earth. But, you know, is personal success so important to you? That it's, it's, it's your priority, it's what you're focused on, it's what you're thinking about, it's what you're living for, it's what you're wondering what else is there to live for but that. 
Or if it's possible, you're putting in there financial security. Now, again, it's good to be secure financially, kind of like with the retirement funds. Lately, though, our economy's down because of COVID. And when you look, you can't really hope in it right now because financial security is not the one thing in which we want to be able to put our hope in. But there's nothing wrong. So in all of these things, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about your retirement funds. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about the election, 2020. You should be. As a responsible American, you should be concerned about that. There's nothing wrong with wanting personal success. There's nothing wrong with that because there is responsibility. You want to take care of your family. You want to be able to do well. Nothing wrong with financial security. Nothing wrong. But what if God would ask you the question saying, what if you just put this in the box? And is this really something you're really consumed with, reaching the unsaved? Is this something that's inside of your heart and mind? Because let me tell you something. If it is, it's got to change your life. i got to say this as kindly as I can. If this is what's in your box, your life, my life has to change. It has to change. Our routines, our priorities, everything in our lives has to change. Because you know what has to change? Self has to get off the throne. Because when we want to reach the unsaved, that means we got to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to reach someone who's far away from God. See, this is what's happening here in our world because I really believe that that's what God was telling Jonah. He was saying this, I want you to go to Nineveh. Ninevites were a very ugly, evil, wicked people. They would be the last people anybody would want to reach. In fact, we would do anything. We would be a Jonah, if not worse, saying, Lord, I'm turning around about face. I'm going the other way. I don't want to go anywhere near these people. Because that's what Jonah saw. But God was like, Jonah, I want you to be concerned about the wickedest, most evil people ever to live on earth. Because those are whom I love. Those are whom I have compassion for. Those whom I want to forgive. Those whom I want to reach and pursue. I desire to pursue sinners. That's what God does. That's why he sent his son. And we can't forget that every day we wake up, we're sinners saved by what? By grace. We don't wake up thinking that all of a sudden we're saved by grace, that we have it all together. No, we have to be reminded new mercies every morning that we wake up as a filthy sinner saved by grace but I'm not as filthy as that one over there. Well, yeah, we are. (laughs) It's just that we may not live it out like certain people. We may not live out our depraved state, but the Bible says that we're depraved. So we have to remind ourselves every day, which is actually, I want to tell you something, as a believer, that's comforting. I know you might say, that's crazy, Bruno, but it's comforting knowing that God is still pursuing me that he still loves me, that if he pursues sinners, then he's pursuing me, that he still sits there clapping as, uh, he's sitting there as a number one fan of each of our lives, pushing us and encouraging us to have his heart, to have his passion, to have his compassion toward those who are far away. And so it's important for us to gather. So look with me to Jonah Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Matiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Now, let's just look at a couple of things in this verse here. Number one is go immediately. See, God was telling him, it was a command. God was saying to him, it's time for you to go. In fact, you know what, Jonah? Put in your destination box, Nineveh, 500 miles away from you. Son, my, my prophet, the one who's a messenger, who's the one to do what I tell him what to do, guess what? Put that in your destination box. And so he would, he, he, would, he would need to do that. He'd need to pull out his phone and pull out his maps and put in there Nineveh. Problem was, he knew something was wrong because in his heart he didn't want to go. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet becomes a false prophet and doesn't obey God, then he's going to die. So God, technically, if he turned around and didn't want to go, God could just say, I can kill you and smite you immediately. But yet, you're going to see the compassion on Jonah's life because God pursues sinners. And so Jonah, who was one of his, decided at this point, we're going to find out that he goes the other direction. So he commands them to go immediately. In fact, in the Hendeas, there's a Hendeas in the Hebrew that brings two verbs together that says go immediately, or better yet, it says go at once. Go now. Don't just think about it. Don't contemplate. Don't think about who you're going to see. You just go. Don't think about, don't look, don't ask for the GPS to see, are we going to have any, um, you know, any, any accidents up front, or is there anything going on? Maybe I need to go on an alternative route. No, God's saying just get up and go at once. Don't think about it. And so here he's calling them. And see, the idea of the force is to identify that the Lord desires to reach these people with compassion. So Nineveh, let's think about it. Let's look at the word, or let's look at the, the, the Ninevites in Nineveh, the city. It's the last capital of the ancient Assyria, about 1,800 acres. It's located on the east bank of Tigris, modern-day Mosul, Iraq, 500 miles northeast from Israel. And then it says it was a great city. Historians claim that magnificent walls were constructed eight miles around the inner city. The entire city has a circumference of about 60 miles. Population could have been around 600,000. 120,000 persons were considered children. Announcing, this is what he's saying here, Literally means that in Hebrew to call out, to cry out, to shout out. However, in this context, it means simply to announce. So the wickedness he mentions here, the word evil or wickedness, gives the idea that it's because he says, wickedness has come before me, or he's saying that it's in the living Bible, it says it smells to the highest heaven. So the wickedness of this city goes up all the way to the heavens. All the way to the heavens. And, our, and the archaeology confirms that in a biblical witness of the wickedness of the Assyrians. Now listen to what they used to do. In the ancient world, there was brutality and cruelty. The grandson of Sennacherib was accustomed to tearing off the lips and hands of his victims. They flogged the victims alive and made great piles of their skulls. So Jonah's reluctance to travel there was well noted. This is what was happening. 
This is why God wanted to work against them. want to get a hold of them. And here was the word against. But the idea of the word against is not so much a negative word in this case. Most would say, okay, God wants to judge people. He wants to hold them accountable. He wants them to be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to identify your sin. I'm going to judge you and then smite you and put you away. No, God's doing the opposite. Actually, what's happening here is God's saying, I want to call out against them because I want to reach them. I know that would seem strange because most people would think that whenever a father or a mother calls out a child, right away a child gets into a defense mechanism and says, okay, what did I do wrong? Okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? Instead, it's a corrective measure. If a parent would come and say, I want to talk to you because I want to help you in an area in your life. But it's the means by which when you hear Almighty God, the sovereign God of the universe, comes and he wants a judge of people, immediately we just tighten up. And here God was saying, no, Jonah, I want you to go, not to simply just call out these people, because he was afraid of the repercussion, but that he wanted to call them out because he wanted to reach them. He had a compassion for these people. I know that would seem strange, but he does. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, the weeping prophet, when he says this, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, Faithless Israel, declares the Lord, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Because God's loyal covenant, his love for his people, is compassionate. It's forgiving. I mean, look at another verse that mentioned when Moses mentioned in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but who will be by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of children and children, to the third and fourth generation. So here he was, gracious and merciful, wanting to reach a people for his purpose. Why? Because God wanted Jonah to go to reach these people. He was afraid. So afraid that we know in verse 3, it says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, what, now let's stop a second. He went from going five mi 500 miles in one direction to now he wants to get on a ship and go 2,500 miles in the other direction. Not only does he just want to get away from the Ninevites, the Bible says he wants to get away from God. Why would he want to get away from God? Because he knows God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is forgiving. God wants to reach the the most wicked people of all the world. Do you ever think that as Christians sometimes we struggle because, you know, we, get, we, we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've trusted in the Lord, we see God change us, all of a sudden now our lives are different, our lives, are, our focus is different, we're not focusing on those depraved things, we're focusing on doing which honors and glorifies God, but then we see people who are living lives that are so depraved. And then the Lord kind of whispers in your ear and says, I want you to talk to that person about me. And then you know, we all are guilty. Come on, I'm not sitting here just telling you, we're all guilty. First thing we do is, oh Lord, you know, I would love to, but I'm really busy right now. I've got some things I gotta do. I've got a lot on my list. Lord, I really do. Lord, I mean, I know you, Lord, I, I really do love you. I really do have a heart for you. I'll go spend some time in prayer in a minute, Lord. But right now, you know, Lord, I got a lot of things on my plate. 
but I really want you to tell them about me. Uh, Lord, I will. I will. Just, just, just give me a couple of days, Lord. I'm not ready right now. See, what happens is it's just these little excuses that we use. We all do it. We fall aside and we get caught up in our own little worlds. Our destination boxes are filled with a lot of stuff. But God's saying, wait a minute, what about just an opportunity? What about an opportunity? And here he was, fleeing from God's presence, just defiant. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to tar- going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare. He actually paid it. So he said, I'm getting out of here. I'm even going to pay for the bill. And went down to it to go, to them, go with them, which is the sailors on the boat, away from the presence of the Lord. So twice, twice the author is saying twice from the presence of the Lord. He, he pulls away. See, here he even says this, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Even in chapter 4, we see why he didn't want to go. Is this, he says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not what I said when I, I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from this disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Meaning Jonah was willing to say, God, take my life. Kill me right now. I'm tired of you being so merciful towards a wicked, evil people. God, why would you do that? That makes me so angry, God. Is Jonah alone? See, remember what I said. If we really wanted to reach unsaved people, our lives have to change. All of us, our lives have to change. God was trying to change Jonah's life. What I love about God is that he didn't leave Jonah. He didn't leave him to go. He didn't leave him to go 2,500 miles on his own. But he intervenes and he says, I want to get involved in your life. I love you. I want something exciting. But see, here's where the issue was. What happens is, as he's running away, I think about that myself. Where do we run when we don't want to face something? Where do we run? Men play golf, hunt and fish to get away from things. Good hobby, great hobby. I love golf. I wish I could play some more. Women shop, get coffee or tea and just talk all day, right? Some find landscaping to do some things. Others call for a friend to express a struggle. Avoid dealing with people sometimes. We just especially don't like to do that, so we avoid dealing with people. You know, I know this is sometimes challenging. You know, years ago, back in 1994, I remember I was in Stanford. I just came out of Bible college. I got back home, living with my parents, 25 years old, didn't know what God was doing with me at the time. We have this beachfront. We have this park. We have this mile-long walk around. And I had a church where I trusted in Christ in 1989 and came back. So, I, you know, occasionally I would see some of the people from our old, my old church which I would go back and reconnect with them. So I saw a couple that I didn't like too much. And I didn't get along with a whole lot, just, just felt that they were, they don't know where they were with the, with the Lord, and it just seemed like he just would never want to talk about the Lord. And I was on fire, and I was just excited, and I just felt like that would just be a waste of my time to talk to him. So I saw this couple, and I walked the other way. I said, let me avoid them. I don't want to deal with them. So I said, it's okay. And Lord's like, go talk to them. I'm like, no, 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 Lord. I don't want to talk to them right now. I'm going to do my walk. So I pulled over to the side, started walking, doing my walk. And I'm thinking, okay, if I walk, they're kind of, they'll probably be out of here by that time. I want to see them again. Now, this, the, the sense of humor that God has, I walk around 
oh, it's a good 20, 30, 40 minutes. I'm walking around a couple of times, and I'm about to leave the park. And lo and behold, I'm walking out of the park, and right in front of me is the couple. I mean, I, it couldn't be any closer to me. And I was like, Dad, Lord, you can't ever get these people out of my way. So I'm sitting there. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to fake my way through this one. Okay, hey, how's it going? How you doing? How's it going? Here I start talking with him. I start talking to the husband. I'm 25 years old. He's 20 years older than me. He starts sharing with me. The, the wife walked away. He starts sharing with me the struggles they're having in their marriage. He said they're thinking about getting divorced. I was shocked. Here I was wondering, why did you want me to talk to them, Lord? Here I avoided them. God was like, I'm not letting you get away. I'm rerouting you back to them. Lo and behold, God used me for an entire year to help them in their marriage. While I was home in Stanford, God used me to counsel them through it. Now, you might think, wait a minute, Brian, you weren't even married. No, I wasn't, but the Holy Spirit still used me. And here it was that to this day, he actually passed away, but they remained married throughout their years and actually... A couple of times after I saw them years past, they would remind me of the time when I helped them, of how that saved their marriage. Now, it was God who had to remind me because I was running away from God. I was running away from an assignment he was giving me at the time. I was turning around, going the other direction. I was running from him. And God said, don't do that again. Trust me. I want you to be a part of my plan, Bruno, but you got to trust me. Here I was being selfish, focused on myself, focused on my own need, not wanting to be around them. God said, I'm still going to use you. And see, that's the beauty of God, that sometimes we run away because we think that's the best thing to do at the time. See, addicts run toward their addictions. Some run toward their depression. Kate Spade, who was a millionaire, created one of the most iconic fashion designers of all the years past in the last 25 years made up to $150 million just creating purses, a purse line, and just all these things that she did for fashion. She created so many different things. She became one of the most innovative fashion designers to ever be out there, well-known. Two years ago, a little less than two years ago, or actually two years ago, she was found dead in her apartment committing suicide. It just didn't seem like whatever she was doing was satisfying enough. She had a, an unfortunate, terrible marriage. She was lonely, depressed. Money didn't seem to meet that need. In fact, uh, her former husband says a housekeeper found Spade dead in her Manhattan apartment on June 5th, 2018, her death was ruled suicide by hanging. Police reported she had left a note addressed to her daughter. The day after her wife, his wife's death, Andy Spade released a statement. Kate suffered from depression and anxiety for many years. She was actively seeking help and working closely with doctors to treat her disease, one that takes far too many lives. We were in touch with her the night before, and she sounded happy. But there was no indication nor warning that she would do this. It was a complete shock. It clearly wasn't her. There were personal demons she was battling. See, this is what's happening. A lot of people are running. 
And sometimes we have to be careful that we don't run from God either because God wants to keep us in assignment to reach those who are far away from him. God wants us to have a compassion because people are hurting deep in their souls, looking for hope. This world is hopeless. Without Jesus Christ, there's no hope. And we have the opportunity. We have the greatest gift to ever be offered on this earth. And we can offer it to all people if we would just be in tune in our destination box saying, God, help me to reach those who are far away from you. To be asking God to change our lives, to give us a compassion, to give us a desire for forgiveness of hope because we have the greatest hope. And God wants to give us that because so many are hurting. God is designed to reroute us back to him. God is designed for us because he wants to give us that relentless love. But sometimes it's just hard. And even in our darkest moments, even when we're struggling, we, don't, we, just, we just want to give in to the world and everything around us, especially even now in our, own, in our midst, we want to give up. And even in our darkest moments, we can be confident God's, of God's relentless love. We can be confident of God's relentless love. That's what Jonah went through. Jonah didn't like it. He was hurting. But God was still saying, I love you, Jonah. I want you to be a part of something here. So let me just give you a couple of things here to think about. You know, in our darkest moments, we can be confident of God's relentless love because even when we're stuck in a roundabout in our lives, like right now, COVID, or anything else that you're dealing with, God reroutes us back to him. I don't know about you, but it's been very difficult to feel grounded in the Lord in the midst of all this chaos. I don't know about you, but I've been struggling being challenged to find out where do, where's my stance, Lord, in all of this? Because you can do only so much. But even in this, here was Jonah. Jonah was struggling. He didn't want to go, so he's running from God. But believe it, believe it or not, God is merciful and gracious towards Jonah. And here's how he interceded. This is how God rerouted him. Let's, look at this in verse 4. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Now, in the Hebrew, in its form there, it's called the hifel, which a hifel means that God is causally doing it. He's, it's his work here. God is hurling a wind. It's not that he's allowing it. He's actually doing it. For you guys out there who are Calvinists, you'd understand that this is a good verse to use, that God's at work. He's causing it to happen. He's bringing a great wind upon the sea. And there's a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was threatened to break up. So meaning God intervened. When he was running away, God's like, no, 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 get back here. I got you. I'm rerouting you back. And he starts to make this boat shake up. And then the mariners or the, the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. These were Phoenician sailors, so they were polytheistic in nature. They were calling to any God they can. You know there's no atheists at the end of their lives because everybody calls out to God. So here they're calling out to God in some form, any kind of God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship. They're just throwing it out to lighten it up. But Jonah goes down. Meanwhile, Jonah goes down in the inner parts of the ship and lay down to go to sleep. He's like, well, let them deal with this. I'm going to sleep. So this man didn't even care. Not only did he not care, he just goes to sleep. Doesn't even care. He's like, okay, well, if God's trying to get my attention, I don't care. So then what happens is so then the captain came down and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil was come upon us. So they cast lots and fell on Jonah. 
So here he was. It's like even when we're stuck in a roundabout, God reroutes us back to him. And here he's rerouting him because he hurls, he hurls a great wind. They hurl stuff out. And now meanwhile, meaning God's now in this whole narrative saying Jonah's not caring about anything. And so he hurls, he hurls, and then we're going to find out that Jonah eventually gets hurled off the boat. But the casting of the lots is to saying, is this God's will? Who is being the one who's doing this? It's them. So even in the midst of a roundabout in our lives, even when it's tough, God is still present. God is still rerouting us back. And that's what's beauty. Like whenever you're struggling and you're not sure where you're going and you're on your GPS, we know that that GPS works us back to the destination. It gets us back, focusing back on where we need to go. So as much as he wanted to get away, God's saying, no, I want you back. And that's the beauty of God. And here God is showing his mercy and his grace to Jonah because before we can show compassion and love and forgiveness, God's got to do a work in us. And God's doing a work in Jonah. Two, it says this, when we know that in our darkest moments we can be confident of God's relentless love, even though we may suffer consequences, it's never God's condemnation. So here God's bringing Jonah back. He's bringing him forth. He's on a boat and he's struggling because he's like, I want to get out of here. But we know consequences are coming because it says this, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So right there, he's saying that, where do you come from? And three of the four questions, like, where, where are you coming from that you would create this? Why is it that you're here and you're causing this on us? Why did you get on this boat? Why are you trying to get away from your so-called God? And in verse 9, it says, and he has the, the, the audacity to say this. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a follower of God. I fear the Lord. I revere God. I'm a today Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. But wait a minute. We just found out that the reason why this storm is coming on us is because of you. So how can you be a follower of God and allow all this? Why is God allowing all this to happen? Why does he want to break up our ship? Why is this so-called God, this Yahweh that you follow, wants to stop us? Here he was saying that, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> but I'm a follower of God. I fear the Lord. And they're like, but wait a minute, I don't see this. <laughs> Where are He goes, wait a minute. They said, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, what is it that you have done? What is it that you have done that you say you're this person who follows God, but we're doing this? So here are the consequences that are coming. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, life gets really difficult when you claim to be a Christian and you start sharing your struggles and your difficulties with unbelievers. That's when it gets really tough. That's when it gets really tough. That's when the consequences start hitting in. When you start sharing your struggles and trying to look for answers from unbelievers. That's when it's like, Wow. Because now you know that you're messed up. Now you know you're in a bad place. Now you know you need to be rerouted back to God. Now we know that you're lost. Now we know that you're confused. Now we know that you're living in a world where you're trying to play the game. Because here, how in the world can we put, I want to reach unsaved people when my own life is a mess? And see, this is where Jonah was at. 
So God continues to call on him, and he's returned him back. He says, verse 11, then he said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? From the sea grew more and more temptuous. And then verse 12, it says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. So he, God hurls, this, this is where you got to see God's hand in all of this. Even in the Hebrew, it's showing it. God hurls a wind on the boat, which means he intervenes. They're hurling off cargo to lighten it up. So God's intervening in the lives of the sailors. And now Jonah gets it and says, I need to be hurled off of this boat in order for God to calm the sea. Because he recognizes he's the problem. So God begins to open up his eyes. So God in his mercy and his grace, he's showing Jonah his faults. And trying to get Jonah to be a part of the plan that's ahead. To reach the Ninevites. So instead of him going that way, he's trying to get him to come back. And here he's saying, I need to be hurled in. He gets it. And then it says, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard back, trying to dry, to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. So now here's the thing. They were trying to help save his life, so they didn't want to hurl him off. They were thinking, let's try to save this man's life. Maybe we could just work and manipulate and try to get ourselves back to dry land. God's like, oh, no, I'm not letting you do that. God's like, nope, you're not getting away with this one. No way. And they're trying to row back and forth. Do you know these sailors had more concern for one life than Jonah had for 600,000 people? Isn't that unbelievable that these unbelievers had more concern for Jonah's one single life and Jonah could care less about 600,000 people? This is what God was doing. He was trying to say, you know what? Your consequences are right in front of you. You've got unbelievers showing you my love more than you're showing that to other people. That's when it gets bad. But in all of that, even though as messed up as we can be in our roundabouts, even in our consequences, God's saying, I'll never condemn you. Why? Because he sees Jesus. Each and every one of us, he sees hope. He has compassion. He wants forgiveness. He wants to see the grace and mercy of your lives and my life so that this way we can be a representative to the world. God wants to continue to work in our lives and challenge us so that we will have compassion. But we'll never have a compassion for the world if God is not working that in us. And so it's important that we understand and grasp that. That is so key. That's why it's important for us to recognize this in our lives. Three, even if we experience humiliation, we always have hope. We always have hope. It says, therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish from this man's life and let not on us this innocent blood come on us. For you, O Lord, have done as, it is, as you please. Now, wait a minute. These are the sailors speaking. <laughs> these are the sailors speaking. This isn't Jonah. This is, these are the sailors. They're saying, please, Lord, we don't want to kill this man because we're afraid of you. We're afraid you're going to hold us accountable for his life. And God's saying, no, it's okay. You can throw him over. But they're like, wait a minute, though. We don't, wa we, we don't want to be... God, we recognize that you are almighty God, Yahweh. Even though we are polytheistic in nature, we recognize. We may add you to our list, but we recognize that you control the seas and you control everything around. So, you know, we recognize that. And then in verse 15, he says, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Number four, hurled him in the sea. 
and the sea ceased from its raging, meaning God intervened and finally said, get them off that boat. Yes, God's hand was on this whole narrative. Yes, even in the midst of throwing him in the sea. Why? Because God loved Jonah enough to reach him. God loved Jonah enough to not let him die. God loves you and I enough to say that he's going to stop us in our tracks because he wants us to be a part of his plan. He wants us to gather his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness so that we can reach those who are far away. He doesn't want us to be defiant like Jonah and pull away. He wants us to put in that destination box, reaching those who are far away from God so we could be a part of his great plan. That's his plan. That's his plan for the church, to reach those who are far away from God. That's why we exist. It's not for our good. It's for the good of reaching those who are far away from God. That's why we're a church that's an agent that reached the lost. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are outside of who we are, people who are different from us, people make us feel uncomfortable. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of another. No matter where, what people group, no matter what ethnicity, doesn't matter. We've got to make ourselves uncomfortable so someone else can be comfortable. What do we do when someone comes in our home and they visit? We do whatever we can to make them feel comfortable, even if it makes us uncomfortable. I've told you that over and over again. Our lives have to change in order to reach a world that's lost. So what do we do? God's rerouting us back to him. To desire to have that compassion. The desire to have a fear. Look, it says, then the men feared the Lord. It wasn't Jonah again. It was the men. He proclaimed to fear the Lord, but it was these Phoenician sailors that were actually fearing the Lord. Exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to say, we will follow you, Yahweh. They wanted to be a part of Yahwehism. They wanted to follow Almighty God. These unbelieving Phoenician sailors were willing. God used this whole narrative to cause these men to understand and see who he was, despite Jonah. And God was saying, Jonah, I still love you enough to have you come with me. He could have had him go to Tarshish, and he would have not been any part of this. But we see that God was saying, I'm going to reroute you back to me. See, what was it all about? It's when God works his compassion in us, our compassion for others grow. It's a deep-hearted work. It's challenging. It's overwhelming. Talking about the Jews and the catastrophe that happened in World War II and the horror that happened of the six million Jews that died under the hands of a tyrant, an evil, wicked tyrant. In the movie Schindler's List, we found of a man who wanted to save as many Jews as he could, a rich man who was able to hire Jews so that the Jews could work and not be killed just for being Jews. In the end part of this movie, I want to show you a clip because it shows of, of the compassion of a man who realized he needed to give up more to save more Jews. You know, I don't know, that, that scene moves me. Um, he, was, uh, he wanted to give up more to reach more people. He wanted to give up more to save more people's lives. If only the church 
could have this passion and this compassion to reach more people. He said, I had to change my life. I could have got rid of the car, could have got rid of the gold, could have got rid of something. What's our destination? What's your destination? I, I don't know. I, I have to be concerned about my own. But as a collective church, my hope is that in that box, as a church, I hope that we could write in there compassion for those who are far away from God. Could that be? How does God need to work compassion in our lives? My prayer is that something's, something's got to change in us. I don't know what that is. Each individual, but when we all individually come together collectively and realizing that our lives need to change, we need to believe that what the Bible says, that those who pass into eternity away from God without knowing faith in Christ will be separated from God for eternity's sake. They'll be forever in what a place the Bible calls hell. Should that change our lives? If it makes us uncomfortable, let it be. In fact, it will make you uncomfortable. It should. If it doesn't, then something's wrong. May I pray that God would challenge us this week. Whatever we write in that box, I pray it's because we need to have more compassion, similar to even like a Schindler. May God just continue to challenge us in this area. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding us what is in our destination box. Jonah didn't write Nineveh. He wrote Tarshish. He wanted to get out. What are we writing in our destination box? And how desperately it needs to be what you want it to be, which is reaching those who are far away from you. You love sinners. <laughs> you love those who are defiant and evil. You want to reach them. So God, please give us a passion and a change us. Make us uncomfortable, I pray. We love you, God. We surrender our lives to you today. And we ask that you would do a marvelous work in us. Continue to challenge us and change us. May Grace Church be a new church, a church that's looking to reach those who are far away from you. God, may we just be compassionate about that more than ever. God, as we are dismissed, may you give us grace and may we uh, continue to look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.